We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Preborn. When a mother meets her baby on an ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection. And the majority of the time, she will choose life. But she can't do it without our help. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to come alongside her. One ultrasound is just $28. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or visit preborn.com. Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. The U.S. Constitution obligates our government to preserve and protect the rights that our founders recognize come from God, our creator, not our government. I believe that scripture in the Bible is very clear that God is the one that raised up each of you and God has allowed us to be brought here to this specific moment in time. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Well, good morning. And in a stunning and unprecedented decision, even according to CNN, those are their words, stunning and unprecedented. The Colorado Supreme Court on Tuesday, just last night, removed former President Donald Trump from the state's 2024 ballot, ruling that he isn't an eligible presidential candidate because of the 14th Amendment's quote-unquote insurrection ban. This was a four to three ruling. It was a pure curiam opinion, and it will be placed on hold until January 4th, pending Trump's appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court, which could settle the matter for the nation. So this state Supreme Court decision currently only applies to Colorado, but the historic ruling will impact the 2024 presidential primary currently. And uh, the Colorado GOP has already responded and said that if this decision stays in place, they will just switch to a caucus system. And uh, there is speculation on exactly how that would go and how that would outflow from uh, this state Supreme Court decision. So here to break this all down for us is my good friend, Alan Dershowitz, um, who is a phenomenal attorney, a, a, a professor emeritus at Harvard Law School and, of course, was one of uh, President Trump's attorneys on the first impeachment, where I was also privileged to be part of that legal team. So, Alan, uh, good morning. This is an absolutely insane uh, opinion. And what is your initial response to it? It's part of the uh, Get Trump um, uh, effort. It's completely unconstitutional and completely inconsistent with democratic principles. By the way, the decision itself applies to every single state. Uh, it's just that it can't be enforced in other states. But uh, the uh, opinion doesn't say that under Colorado law he can't run. It says under the 14th Amendment he can't run, which means if that precedent is followed, he can't run in any states. Now, Colorado obviously is a state that Trump is not likely to win, but uh, if courts follow the illogic uh, and ahistorical analysis of the Colorado court, uh, that precedent uh, would be applicable all over the country. So this is uh, a dramatic interference with the right of every citizen to vote on who our next president is going to be. It also flies in the face of the explicit text of the 14th Amendment. Just the, read you one part of it, Section 5. The Congress, that means the United States Congress, shall have the power to enforce by appropriate legislation the provisions of this article. Uh, so the framers of the 14th Amendment allocated uh, to the Congress, not to individual state courts, the power to uh, make uh, provisions that enforce this. And Congress hasn't done it. 
because Congress knows that the 14th Amendment, which is a post-Civil War amendment, essentially the peace treaty between the North and the South, was not intended to uh, circumvent the usual impeachment provisions of the Constitution, which also provide for um, a disqualification, but you need two-thirds of a vote of the Senate. Um, the, this reading of the Constitution says that the framers of the 14th Amendment just ignored the rest of the Constitution and said, well, you don't need these procedural safeguards. If, if, if any person thinks that a candidate shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion without a criminal conviction or any other essential process, that that's enough to bring it to the courts, and then the courts will decide uh, who can run for president. It's hard to imagine anything more undemocratic uh, than that, and I am confident that the Supreme Court, uh, perhaps unanimously, uh, will strike down this, uh, this Colorado decision. And, and I share your hope that the Supreme Court will strike this down. Um, I'm skeptical that it would be unanimous just because of the blatant activism coming from some of the justices uh, that are specifically biased against uh, President Trump or uh, or more to the left in their overall judicial philosophy. But this this is much more important than whether you support Donald Trump for president, as, as you and I, Alan, both do not, and we've expressed that. But this opinion is wrong. And first and foremost, before politics and before we have uh, the right to actually engage with our vote, we have to have the process that is free and fair. And so uh, you and I both advocate for this uh, opinion to be overturned because it is absolutely wrong. It is a misreading of the 14th Amendment. And you're right to point out Section 5 that uh, the Colorado Supreme Court really didn't address and instead uh, is just making that finding. How impactful, if at all, uh, or critical is it that the trial court in Colorado on the district court level did make a finding based on the evidence, evidence presented at trial that that Donald Trump was engaged in an insurrection? That was the, the predicate finding yeah. to this ultimate opinion. But that's not a factual finding. Uh, there's no interpretation of what insurrection means. Uh, is Black Lives Matter involved in insurrection? To the people who are protesting against Israel now and calling for the United States to do whatever they're doing, are they involved in an insurrection? Uh, you need a definition. Uh, you need to have some uh, procedural and substantive uh, safeguards. We don't have that. So the decision of the district court was simply wrong. Um, it marshaled facts that uh, certainly didn't put Donald Trump in a good light. But it didn't come to a factual conclusion that he was involved in an insurrection or rebellion because he simply he simply wasn't. Uh, he was uh, trying to enforce what he believed was the was the appropriate rule. He was wrong. He was dead wrong. But uh, that that's not an insurrection. And, and and why should I be denied the right to vote against him? Um, I want him to be defeated fair and square without the thumb of the judiciary being on the on the election. Yeah, that and that's incredibly well said. And how important then on the flip side is it that the second impeachment of President Trump was a finding of not guilty on, on the exact same facts here? I mean, Congress has already made that determination. And so clearly they have not 
um, it, it enforced through legislation uh, anything regarding the 14th Amendment or any sort of applicability to the, the presidential election in 2024. But they have made a finding of not guilty on this exact same facts. Yeah, I mean, double jeopardy doesn't apply to disqualification provisions, but you'd think that uh, since this is a federal issue, the fact that the uh, Senate of the United States uh, made its determination uh, has to have some has to have some relevance. But the major issue is that the the the, the text of the Constitution simply is not applicable. This uh, section three was part of the. Civil War, post-Civil War, peace treaty, essentially. It was, uh, you know, Donald Trump's old, but he's not old enough to have fought in the Civil War. And the idea that uh, this was designed as a general substitute for impeachment and disqualification provisions that exist in the Constitution requires an incredible stretch and a political stretch. And, uh, you know, I hate to point out the fact that all seven of the justices of the Colorado Supreme Court are, are, are Democrats, but uh, were appointed by Democrats. But um, it, it does uh, present a, a kind of partisan weaponization of the Constitution. And, and of course, the other side is going to fight back by having caucuses. Remember, too, the Constitution is very broad in how it allocates the power to the states to determine who the electors should be and how how the electoral vote shall be cast. So there are many ways that the Republicans, if they wanted to fight back, could do so, but it will cause tremendous disarray um, in the election. And what I worry about after the last election, where President Trump mistakenly uh, claimed that he had won, what I worry is that this election will be inconclusive if Trump is not allowed to run in every single state. And there'll be uh, real uh, opposition by the American public, not only by people who are pro-Trump, but by people who are like me and you who are not pro-Trump, who don't believe that courts have the power uh, to take away the right. And I hate the fact that this is now up to the Supreme Court because they're just another court. Uh, This should not be in the hands of any courts. This should be hands of Congress. Congress hasn't taken any action on this. And then it should be in the hands of the of the public. And we have to decide who the next president is, not either the Supreme Court of Colorado or the Supreme Court of the United States. And and you're absolutely right. My guest this morning is uh, Alan Dershowitz, professor emeritus at Harvard Law and an attorney, uh, formerly uh, President Trump's own attorney and on the first impeachment. And, you know, you raised some really excellent points there as well. I mean, how practically would this even work if the Supreme Court doesn't take this up? I think that they have to and settle this for the country. But I could see um, up until their opinion, some of the blue states will now just take this uh, this advisory opinion, basically, or, or this um, influential opinion, and they would then direct their own secretaries of state to take him off the ballot. And and how how would that even work if he's not eligible on, say, Colorado, California, New York, Michigan, a couple of those states, but then is eligible everywhere else and somehow um, actually wins the primary because there aren't enough states that go along with this uh, particular opinion? Well, he'd, he'd then be the nominee. What what I'm concerned about is uh, Texas has already hinted, well, maybe Biden will be taken off the ballot. After all, uh, maybe his opening the floodgates to immigrants 
constitutes a form of insurrection or rebellion. Nonsense, total nonsense, but <laughs> not much different than the nonsense coming from the Colorado Supreme Court. So are we going to have dueling disqualifications depending on whether it's a red state or a blue state? That's not what the framers of the Constitution had in mind. Uh, you know, after the 1800 election, the Constitution was amended because uh, a mistake was made in the drafting of the Constitution, and it didn't provide for a distinction between electoral votes cast for the president and the vice president. But after that, in the 12th Amendment, you know, we've had a pretty good run of being able to have elections. Um, you know, we had an election in, what was it, I remember, 18, 1920 and 1924, where uh, Eugene V. Debs, who was in jail, essentially for insurrection, uh, ran for president. He lost, but he got, I think, three million votes or something like that. And it never occurred to anybody to take Eugene V. Debs off the ballot, even though, you know, he, he in the minds of some, advocated the overthrow of the government. So, uh, you know, this, this is just not something that the Colorado court should have gone near. But, um, uh, you know, when with the weaponization of our Constitution today by by both sides, uh, we're going to see tit-for-tat retaliation, and the losers will be the voters of the America, United States who have the right to make the decision. Absolutely. And the thing that is the... <laughs> One of the most wild parts about this opinion from the Colorado Supreme Court is that it contains no limiting principle. And so when you mention that Republicans could then go and try to get Biden disqualified under some broad theory of insurrection that um, he didn't close the border and it's an invasion. um, I actually think that Republicans should in Colorado should go and file that suit and force then the the Democrat controlled Colorado Supreme Court to to analyze that issue and say, is this just because you hate Donald Trump, which, of course, clearly it is. uh, But but this is why this precedent is so bad. And um, and so, you know, in just the last two minutes I have with you, um, Alan Dershowitz, and I so appreciate your time. I think everyone's so frustrated with the the robed petty tyrants. And what can we possibly do to prevent this kind of ahistorical nonsense and this bad precedent that continues to come out that is weaponizing our government? Well, one of the problems, of course, is that, you know, we can talk about it. We can bring lawsuits. But now the Get Trump people are going after lawyers. They're attacking lawyers. Uh, They're saying if you bring a lawsuit that we don't approve of, we're going to sanction you. Um, We're going to disbar you. Um, The attack on lawyers has made it even more difficult today to uh, de-weaponize our system of justice. And the weaponization extends to every aspect of our legal system, including uh, the disciplining of lawyers. So uh, I worry deeply. Um, You know, I've never been more worried about our country than I am today. I'm worried because of what's going on in Colorado. I'm worried because of the whole get Trump mentality. I'm worried about, you know, the incredible increase in bigotry and anti-Semitism and uh, hatred that is on our college campuses. Um, These kids, these Hitler youth that are marching today against Jews in Israel are our future leaders, and they're going to be on the courts uh, 20 years from now making decisions like this. So this is the time to stop it. Yeah, and, and it is a really concerning view for the future and not just for the the impending uh, presidential election in 2024, but even 20 years from now. And looking at even some of the opinions from 
the U.S. Supreme Court that are not tethered to uh, any kind of reasonable interpretation of the Constitution. And we see judicial activism and we continue yeah. to see uh, all of that. It's it is very scary. And um, and and so, again, just in the last few minutes I have with you as well, is it possible my concern uh, from the Supreme Court and their potential opinion, because there has not yet been a conviction um, in any court of law, even though, as you rightly point out, Section 5 gives the enforcement power to Congress, is it possible that the Supreme Court could be so spineless as to say, well, this opinion is stayed un- unless and until there may be a conviction in the future that would simply accelerate some of this other weaponization of government against Donald yeah. Trump? Well, especially the conviction would occur in the District of Columbia, where over 90 percent of the jury pool hates Donald Trump. And so, of course, there's going to be a conviction in the District of Columbia. No rational person would bet against that. And so that would be uh, a terrible, terrible decision, because even if there is uh, a judicial decision or a verdict of of guilt, uh, that's not enough uh, under any reasonable interpretation of Section 3 of the Constitution. Well, Alan Dershowitz, I really appreciate your time this morning. Uh, thank you so much. And we will see thank how, uh, thank you, yeah. how uh, the U.S. Supreme Court takes this up, up and uh, if and when they do. And so you can read this full opinion at the Colorado Supreme Court's website. I have also posted it on my X feed. This is uh, number 23SA300. It's Anderson versus Griswold. And this is just, again, a wild opinion that does not have a limiting principle. So um, so what we mean by that in law is that uh, there is nothing, it's such a broad opinion that, and, and a broad interpretation of the 14th Amendment, that there is nothing to say that anything couldn't be characterized as uh, as an insurrection and a disqualification, for example, of Joe Biden. Or uh, if the left wanted to weaponize this, um, you know, even against Governor DeSantis, because he formerly uh, held federal office and actually members of Congress uh, fall specifically under uh, the 14th Amendment. And so no limiting principle to say that this opinion only catches specific, very precise conduct. It's just broad and it's it's totally open. And that is a very dangerous precedent. Uh, for the future. And Alan Dershowitz was right that uh, this is against the history and also the text of the U.S. Constitution, uh, because in Section 3, the president, as a as a former office holder, uh, Donald Trump, the office of president, is not even mentioned as one of uh, the specific persons that is subject to Section 3. So it talks about, and it starts, no person shall be a senator or or representative of Congress in or elector of president and vice president or hold any office civil or military under the United States. And so an office under the United States is not the head of the executive branch who can appoint officers. And that's the argument from uh, now the the ACLJ and um, our good friend Jay Sekulow, um, who is representing the Colorado Republican Party in this appeal. And the ACLJ actually uh, posted a really good article that I would commend to your reading on this issue. 
that goes into detail about how this uh, this Colorado Supreme Court opinion got it wrong, some of the arguments that they're going to present to the U.S. Supreme Court. But the bottom line here is we need to be praying for our Supreme Court justices that they would do the right thing constitutionally because this is not a matter of politics. Remember, it's all about what can the government do in this instance. The, the justices and judges do not have that power. Section 5, as Alan Dershowitz rightly said, is given to Congress. So they do not have this authority. So we have to pray that the U.S. Supreme Court does the right thing here and we preserve and protect our constitutional republic over and above any politics. It doesn't matter whether we support or don't support Donald Trump. This opinion is wrong. We'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. If you're like most of us, you're paying way too much for healthcare. That's why I want to tell you about a ministry that has been meeting the healthcare needs of hundreds of thousands of Christians, and that's Christian Healthcare Ministries, chministries.org. Christian Healthcare Ministries is cost sharing made easy. For over 40 years, this unique model has allowed believers to choose their own doctors without worrying about networks or waiting periods, since they are not insurance, but a faith-based alternative to insurance. Members not only get advanced Advantages from the affordability, flexibility, and reliability of CHM, but they also receive access to 24-7 telehealth services at no additional cost. It's no surprise that doctors across the country appreciate working with CHM, and so will you. It all starts with a visit to chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR. Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest-serving health share ministry, serving all 50 states. Share the good news with a friend, too. chministries.com slash AFR. Make the switch today with anytime enrollment. Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. So I have been... Uh, preaching, for lack of a better word, um, for years that our U.S. Constitution obligates our government to preserve and protect the rights that come from God, our creator, not our government. That is the sole purpose of civil government or the sole legitimate purpose. And one of those rights that comes from God himself is religious freedom. That has been in the news lately because of the Iowa State Capitol and the Satanic Temple of Iowa that erected a display at uh, the Iowa Capitol building this month and some of the response and the dialogue and uh, what exactly happened to that statue. So as many of you are probably aware, uh, when that became national news and the controversy over having a uh, satanic statue in a state capitol building, a man by the name of Michael Cassidy went into the state uh, capitol building and beheaded the statue. It's made out of kind of this macrame and was apparently uh, stuffed with plastic bags, which um, is about as much personality as this inanimate object has. And so now the conversation has become, did this gentleman do the right thing? Was he justified in this act of vandalism and essentially enacting vigilante justice? Well, my guest this morning uh, that I'm so grateful to have on the air is Representative John Dunwell from the state of Iowa. So he's an Iowa House representative and also an ordained pastor. And he actually uh, tweeted 
on this topic and talked about some of the background of how this came to be. And then uh, that has just evoked a lot of response and further conversation. So Representative Dunwell, thank you so much uh, for your time this morning and for being willing to boldly speak on these issues as both a state representative, a member of, of our government, and also as a pastor, so a member of our faith. Absolutely, Jenna. It's good to be here. I, I had no idea when I was uh, posting kind of my way of approaching this issue for my constituents on Twitter, it would get as much attention as it did. Yeah, and, and I I saw your tweet that um, originally went viral, and I thought it was so well laid out because you give the history of how did it happen, uh, talking about the access for displays in the Capitol for a holiday display. They're permitted for only two weeks. Um, the displays are required to communicate. They're an independent display, not associated with or endorsed by the state of Iowa. And then you made some observations and responses to this um, as an Iowan, a state representative, and a pastor. So break that down for us, because I think those, uh, especially being a state representative and a pastor, those two points of view are very important and actually not in conflict here. Yeah, absolutely. So the minute I heard about it, I happened to be going by the Capitol, went up and I saw it, and I began to ask some questions and found out that uh, the Capitol complex does fall underneath the jurisdiction of the legislature. Lots of people blame Governor Reynolds. She had nothing to do with that. But it's run by the Department of Administrative Services, but they run it according to the policies or the legislation that we put forward. And so after finding out that, I found out that they go through an application process. They applied in August. There were some minor modifications that were asked for. They didn't really want to have a real goat's head, uh, at least the DAS did not want that, so they had them put in uh, a fake one as well. But other than that, they were allowed to put it up for two weeks. Then I thought, okay, my, my, my constituents have some questions. How do we approach these issues? How do we approach that first and foremost uh, as an Iowan and a state representative? And how do I approach that as a Christian, follower of Christ, pastor? And so the first thing is, and, and, and this is in a particular order of importance, um, but I did respond first and foremost as a, a legislature, a legislator. And so when I look at that, I look at this whole idea of the First Amendment that basically talks about this idea of, you know, freedom of religion, freedom of expression, no matter which one you're looking at, religion or expression, this idea that government really should not be the arbitrator of what is an appropriate expression, religious or not, or what is an inappropriate expression, religious or not, because government's not a good arbitrator of such things. I wouldn't want the House telling me, I think that's a good religion, and that's a bad religion. I think that's a good religious expression, that's a bad religious expression. Um, because I think it actually does damage not only to the faith, but I think also it's giving up freedom that our Constitution affords us. You know, one of the things I have found in government, and this is what I think people misunderstand, our Constitution is primarily a process document. It talks about how we come up with our values and our laws, and it's really done by the legislatures. But there are some limits on that, and that's contained within the Bill of Rights. And so when you take a look at how our Constitution works, it says, legislatures, you can make decisions about all these different things and pass laws, but these are limits upon that power. These are protections for individual rights. And when something is iterated in the Bill of Rights or in these amendments that were part of our Constitution, I think we stay away from it. In fact, I think we stay away from it enough that we admit on the edges of it it's a little bit messy. 
I don't like that display. It may have been put up for blasphemous reasons, but I do support their right to say whatever they want to say and to express whatever they want to express, uh, because I think government, uh, I don't want to give up that freedom to government in terms of that. So that was my response as a legislator. And let, let me stop it. you there real, real quick, yeah, Representative ahead. Dunwell, um, just to, um, to to unpack that a little bit more before you go into the response as a pastor, because I think this is so important to underscore what you just said, that the Constitution is a process document. And this is why our founders and John Quincy Adams said that our Constitution was made only for a moral and upright people. It's wholly inadequate to the government of any other because we, and, and as John Jay, our first Supreme Court justice, said we should select and prefer Christians as our leaders— Why? Because anyone who can use the powers, even the limited powers of government, could use them for evil in our constitutional republic if they were disposed to that. And so it's not that our system in particular makes those distinctions between what is a good religion, what is a bad religion, but we do have some limiting principles. So for example, the the, the state wouldn't inquire into, say, the adequacy of a marriage. Like a man and a woman want to get married. Right. They're not going to say, well, you know, how do you really love each other? Let's make some, let's make mm-hmm. sure that you qualify on our arbitrary metric. It's just a matter of it being a man and a woman. Now we can say the state shouldn't sanction a same-sex marriage because that falls outside the definition, just like we could say that the Iowa state capitol should not allow, under the auspices of a religious holiday display, uh, pornographic material or violent uh, material, things like that. So there are limiting principles, right? And we we can still talk about that, but without broaching... Uh, the state then designating and saying and sanctioning this religion is good, that religion is bad. And, and, exactly. And by the way, I don't want the as a Christian, and I'm a, Jen, I'm a Bible believing evangelical pastor. So, with all the misconception, what that means, I'm just telling you where I come from in my perspective. It's not something that I believe uh, really is a part of my faith as well. As I began to think this through. You know, I, I recognize that I may object to this, and it may be blasphemous if it really was representation of Satan, etc., to my faith, but the reality is my response is the path of Christ. And uh, I know that the Scriptures tell me clearly I wrestle not against flesh and blood, but really against principalities and powers and these spiritual forces. And God's given me this spiritual armor he talks about in the book of Ephesians and chapter 6. And he also talks about this idea of prayer and this idea of washing feet in service and humility and sacrifice. Those are the way in which we combat this. And so it's very interesting. This display goes up, but I also know that uh, within a, a week and a half, there was going to go up a display of the nativity. And so because this went up, the Satanic display, there was over 200 believers who showed up for uh, the Nativity, and the, the Capitol Dome was filled with praise and worship for an hour and a half in celebration, and partly because in response to this other display going up. And so I think it's hard. There, there's this, this vein that seems to be in Christianity today that kind of takes on that tone of what is now kind of being identified as Christian nationalism. So that as I, my post went up, 
all of a sudden, these people kept coming back to me and saying, you know, using the imagery of the sword, and with, you're, you're effeminate in your approach to Christianity. It needs to be more masculine, and we need to take force, and prayer no longer works, and, you know, prayer needs to be backed up by, you know, physical action. And there's such a misunderstanding of what the kingdom of God that Jesus spoke about. Because when mm-hmm. he came on the scene... He said, you know, um, I'm going to develop a kingdom, and this kingdom is going to be bigger than any boundary or any nationality. It's going to be a spiritual kingdom, and it's going to transform people and transform their lives. And as they are transformed, they will transform the world around them. They will influence all of these areas. And so he actually stood against the building of a physical kingdom that his disciples were so desirous to create, as well as... Uh, many of the people that were part of his community wanted him to lead. He rejected that thought and wanted a kingdom that was far more expansive and far more powerful. What's interesting, and this is the part that shocks me a little bit, everyone keeps talking about the Scripture passage out of Romans chapter 13, this idea that uh, government officials like myself are these ministers of God. Uh, and it talks about how they're to administer, you know, justice and righteousness and those types of things. What's very interesting about it is, we take a look at that passage of Scripture, that passage of Scripture was written so that Christians would know how to behave in the world in which they find themselves. So we're talking the, the Roman government, not exactly probably a government that we would say is moral or good, uh, it was pagan, and here Paul is saying, hey, as a follower of Christ, that government that doesn't look godly to you, believe it or not, I have established to kind of, I would say, keep evil in check. And you are to, to look at that government, that law and order, as being something that's been established by me. And I use it for a purpose until my return comes and when my kingdom will be fully established and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So people keep quoting that scripture passage to me in the wrong way, saying you are that minister and you are to minister, uh, you know, justice and righteousness in the kingdom. And I, I, I say kind of a little tongue in cheek, if you're really applying that passage correctly, it means when I make a pronouncement about something, you're supposed to obey it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. I'm exaggerating a little bit. But there's such a misapplication of biblical concepts about the kingdom of God and as well this idea of Romans 13. Yes, and I'm speaking with Representative John Dunwell out of the great state of Iowa, and I so appreciate you bringing in Romans 13 because it wasn't that long ago during the COVID shutdowns that actually a lot of the secular leftists were using that passage to try to compel churches to go against orthodoxy and to go against the requirement and command in Scripture to meet as the ecclesia and to shut down their churches um, for as long as the government tells them. And and so that was also the other side of a misapplication of Scripture. And so when some people are bringing up, well, we have to obey God's law rather than man's, that's only when and if they are actually in conflict. So one obvious example would be if a, a state government would force a woman to abort her child. Of course, she would decline it, and that would be an act of civil disobedience, but that would be obeying God rather than men. But in in this instance, when we're talking about a holiday display that no Christian prefers, we, we find it disgusting, despicable, outrageous, all of those words that we can characterize, it's not 
an act uh, and a command of God to go and tear down idols. And and that was the other thing that I found really fascinating, Representative Dunwell, that uh, people were suggesting that because there were instances in the Old Testament that that became a command in the New Testament and in the church age that Christians yeah. are required to tear down idols. When in, in Acts 17, the Apostle Paul actually gives us a great example of being, and verse 16 starts, when Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So what did he do? Go tear them down? No, he reasoned in the synagogue. He reasoned, he appealed right. to the law. So, so as a pastor and as a representative, how should Christians think about this display that they find objectionable in a state capital? The way is to follow Christ's path. Uh, so yes, we admit it's, uh, it's objectionable, but what we do is we do good in response. That's you show up when the nativity is going up, when you fill that place with praise and worship. We love our enemies. We, we, we pray spiritual warfare against any of the influences that come from that. I actually put in my post, when you take, uh, if I were, my boys are now 19 and 22, but if they've been younger, to bring them there and to say, this is the depiction of what uh, supposedly this group represents. And look at how dark and foreboding uh, their supposed representative is. Now let's talk about who Jesus is, the difference between dark and light. There are some great lessons to be taught here, and so the key for us is to respond in the way of Christ, not to respond in the way of the, of the, the, the world with displays of power and the sword and uh, violence and uh, you know, basically beheading an inanimate object and uh, expressions of anger in terms of that. So that, that to me has been one of the big head-scratchers is almost I feel like I'm hearing the way of Jesus no longer works, so we have to do it differently. We have mm. to go back to using the sword and the imagery of the Crusades. And this whole Old Testament uh, aspect is interesting to me because the reality is the Old Testament is about building the nation of Israel to bring forth Jesus, Jesus the Messiah, and the enemy was trying to do everything he could to stop that nation from being formed and for the Messiah to come. But when Jesus comes, he tells us, that the temple of the Holy Spirit isn't a building. The temple of the Holy Spirit is going to be our very lives. So I take those Old Testament passages and say, hey, go tear down the idols in your own life. And sometimes that may actually be the idol of nationalism that uh, has built in our hearts and uh, allow the kingdom of God to be established in our hearts rather than that. Let's remember, Jenna, I love our capital. It's a beautiful building. It's an open building. It's gorgeous but it is not the temple of God. It is the Iowa State Capitol. And so we have to keep that in mind as well. Yeah, very well said, uh, Representative John Dunwell. And you mentioned earlier uh, Christian nationalism, and that has been a, uh, a movement and an ideology that has risen to the fore in this whole debate now that this man went in and beheaded this idol and in an act of vandalism of public property. And they're suggesting that this was justified as a righteous act because it was so offensive. And if we are a Christian nation truly, then the government, including Kim Reynolds, should simply pardon uh, this man and should actually celebrate it, according to a statement uh, that Turning Point USA issued um, in response to this, which I actually found really shocking. Uh, from Turning Point, they actually said that uh, this should be celebrated because it was an act that uh, that was uh, that millions of people 
uh, would prefer. And um, and that sounds a lot like what the, the BLM organization, how they justified a lot of the vandalism and destruction of property in the riots of 2021. And so, of course, you know, Turning Point is not going to uh, suggest that, you know, they're in any way like BLM. And I'm drawing that analogy. But what I'm saying is that uh, that we have to be very careful how we're advocating for the things we do prefer and against the things that we don't. Because if we are just uh, arbitrarily saying that when we like when one person vandalizes property and that should be justified mm-hmm. because we prefer it, and somebody else goes and does something we don't like and so that should be outlawed, then it becomes completely arbitrary based on whose view? Well, maybe the Christians. That's what the Christian nationalist movement is. And that will undercut and undermine religious freedom for all. And so um, how do you see this movement of Christian nationalism um, really as a threat to what our U.S. Constitution establishment establishes in terms of ordered liberty and in particular religious freedom? The Christian nationalist, at least what I am picking up from what they have responded to my post, will discount the First Amendment or they will redefine that First Amendment. They call for Christianity being recognized as a supreme religion. In fact, many of them will go as far as to say, we may not allow the federal government to establish religion, but the reality is the state can have a state religion, and that religion ought to be Christianity. That scares me to death, um, because I think government will corrupt the faith that I love, the Jesus that I love, and the Jesus that I want to be able to express. Secondly, the part that uh, um, also causes me concern is this idea that somehow the mob uh, gets to pick and and the mob should be respected. And we have seen across America destruction of property, the tearing down of statues, removing of our history, all because the mob didn't like it. In Christianity, we're part of the kingdom of God. We take every thought captive to Christ. Uh, And our response is basically to do what Jesus would do. And Steve, they keep quoting to me, you know, Jesus making a court of whips and driving them out of the temple. Uh, First off and foremost, um, we have to remember that was against the religious people who were getting in the way of people seeking worship of God. And so let's keep that in mind. And number two, we are that temple. That's exactly what Christ did upon the cross for us. He cleansed our lives so the Holy Spirit could once again live within us and drove out all the things that get in the way of Christ once again being able to dwell within human beings. Um, but the, the idea being is we don't want to live with the mob in control. We are those who are led by Christ in the ways of Christ and expressing Christ in everything we do. And that doesn't mean destroying what we dislike and tearing down what we dislike. I mean, Jesus himself lived that life, and then he went to a cross and died a sacrificial death. And it was through his humility and his willingness to submit that the greatest victory that we could possibly imagine the resurrection occurred, and we now have that life for each and every single person who calls upon the name of Jesus. We have to look in that example and live that out in our everyday lives. 
So well said, and I can see how uh, you are indeed a pastor and not and not uh, <laughs> just a, a representative. No, I love it, and and I wish that every state legislator across the country had that same understanding of the truth of the gospel of Christ. And and the reality is that they don't. And and it seems that the Christian nationalist ideology suggests that the only way that we can as Christians truly create a moral and upright society is not through the church and not through the the uh, the, right. the great commission but to take over the state and they act like this that there was some kind of fundamental reshaping of the constitution and the bill of rights that allows for Correct. a different different interpretation of the documents to allow uh, religious pluralism and they believe the original intent was to exclude religious freedom right. and we would object to that and say, no, in, there's been an enduring conflict between the power of the state and the free exercise of the church and who gets to govern the conscience of the individual. Those are enduring <laughs> questions. And, and this is yeah. why when we live in a post-truth society, it becomes even more important, I think, to protect religious freedom so that we can, as Christians, continue to preach and continue to promote the truth of the gospel of Christ. So in just the last few minutes I have with you, Representative Dunwell, yeah. thank you so much for your time. Um, where do you think, as a legislator, this should go from here in terms of both the specific case of uh, this vandal that came in um, and, and his... Uh, his his punishment, some people are calling for a pardon, and should the state legislature recontemplate um, some of the rules surrounding these holiday displays? So I believe when people destroy property, um, they should pay the price or they should, you know, do the time or, you know, pay the fine. It'll be a fine. So I actually believe that we shouldn't call him a hero and we should not let him off. Secondly, I'm comfortable with the laws that we have guarding the Capitol complex if it becomes that everybody and his cousin wants to put a display up and it begins to, I would say, make our capital be too full of stuff, then I think we should have no displays in there. But I don't think we should be in the business of trying to find ways to stop other people's expressions, religious or non-religious, when it comes to the capital. And then thirdly, I think we need to wake up. We need to realize there's this strain of frustration that's not only affecting our political process, but it's affecting the Church of Jesus Christ. And they're connected together. So what we see happening in our political system right now, this is just another expression of it, and it's hijacking the Christian faith to accomplish politically what we see on the political side as well. So well said. And Representative John Dunwell, thanks so much for your time. And for everyone listening, if you missed My pleasure. all of these great threads, go follow Representative Dunwell on X at J Dunwell. And we will be praying for you, Representative, and uh, praying for your steadfastness, for your church, uh, for your ministry, and uh, for your commitment to uh, being a, a servant to the people of Iowa. So thank you so much for your time today. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you, and we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. Did you know that every day, Preborn's network of clinics experiences 200 miracles? How? Preborn gives women with unplanned pregnancies a window into their womb through free ultrasounds, introducing them to the beautiful life growing inside. Once she meets her child inside her womb and hears their heartbeat, the chance of her baby's life doubles. Because of the generosity of you and me who donate just $28 to sponsor an ultrasound, Preborn can do this. The cost of a dinner can save a life, the most worthwhile investment you can make. 
All gifts are tax deductible and go entirely to saving babies. Someday you may meet a baby that you rescued and you can give them a hug. Or maybe they'll give you a hug. Maybe they'll even save your life as they grow and pursue meaningful careers. One thing is for sure, you will never regret saving a child's life because life is a miracle. Please donate your best gift today. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby or go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Speaking truth with love. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Welcome back. And in just the final few minutes that I have with you this morning, I know that there is so much going on to be anxious about, to be concerned about, and even going into the holiday season when maybe we would rather uh, ignore some of the things going on in the world and just focus on the joy of the season, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I hope that everyone gets some time to take out to consider the beauty of this holiday season and really the true meaning of why we celebrate Christmas and the hope that we have in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because remember, remember, remember that no matter what happens on this earth, and we are not guaranteed perfect justice, whether it's from the Colorado Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court, from any other uh, arbiter that is human on this earth, we have the hope, which is the patient expectation, that we will one day be with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in perfection. And that is an amazing amazing hope that we have because no matter how bad things get on this earth, this is as bad as it's ever going to get. And we are guaranteed trials and tribulations on this earth, but this is why we can continue to press on, run our race with endurance as the Apostle Paul admonishes us and looking to Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith. So I wanted to read uh, from Philippians 4 this morning. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. We could all use a little bit more peace, I think, during this holiday season with all of uh, the strife and all of the contentiousness that uh, we all, I think, feel is just bubbling up in our society and uh, coming up in the next year with the presidential election, with everything going on. But uh, this is the exhortation from the Lord to rejoice in him always because he is near. Don't be anxious. Have the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. The world will not understand why we have joy and why we have peace. But God promises that to the Christian that is not anxious But talks to the Lord through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, presenting our requests and knowing that our hope is in him. So have a wonderful day this morning. Have a very merry Christmas. And you can always reach me and my team, Jenna at AFR.net. 
want to thank my sponsors, Preborn and Christian Healthcare Ministries. Preborn Network Clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day they save 200 babies' lives. But they can't do it without our help. Will you head over to preborn.com slash AFR and sponsor an ultrasound? Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest-serving health cost-sharing ministry, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. Make the switch today and start saving. Visit chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR.